Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Amandaman Games Podcast. This is episode 8 of my weekly gaming podcast where we discuss all things video games related. Tune in every Wednesday for new episodes and to support the show, please subscribe, comment and rate this podcast on your podcast platform of choice. You can email me any questions at amandamangames at gmail.com. That's amandamangames at gmail.com. All the various social media links will be in the description below. We're going to jump right into the news. There's not too many things that happen and rightfully so with everything that's happening right now. But I do want to discuss a number of games that I've been playing, especially one specific game that I think all of us are playing (laughs) currently. Anyone that owns a Nintendo platform. So we're going to jump right into the news. Uh, The first item actually comes from IGN. This is from Matt Perslow. HP is building a next-gen VR headset with Valve and Microsoft. So I just want to go right into this first, just kind of talking about how we had heard from Phil Spencer a while back that he didn't really see VR as, as a viable platform when it comes to those gaming experiences. He didn't say that he doesn't like it or anything like that or he doesn't want to succeed. But I just remember like reading about that a while back. So it was just interesting to see this, which is why I, I wanted to bring it up on this podcast. So Matt Personal writes, PC manufacturer HP has HP, sorry, not HHP. HP has announced that it is working on a new next-gen VR headset in collaboration with Valve and Microsoft. The HP VR headset, the Reverb G2, is described as a new standard in VR by HP and that it offers a more immersive, comfortable, and compatible experience than the previous generation. That's all the details that the website and newly listed Steam store page reveals. Quite what Microsoft and Valve's contribution to the project is has not yet been made clear, but based on the original reverb, it may be that Windows Mixed Reality is a core design principle for the G2. Steam VR is a given, it's on the Steam store after all, but there's no indication yet as to if the Index's Knuckles controllers will be compatible with the G2. So this is interesting in, in obviously once uh, in terms of what Phil Spencer had said with Xbox and Microsoft's involvement when it comes to VR, but in terms of Valve, because Valve just released a, a very big game, you know, Half-Life Alex, just just a while back, it's a couple of days ago, and they are kind of touting that game as being, you know, the most immersive VR experience you can get. And of course, if you want to actually be fully immersed, you should try to get a Valve Index, which let's be honest, is, is extremely or absurdly uh, expensive at this point of time. And, you know, them kind of partnering with HP to create another VR headset is, I, I, I don't know, maybe maybe this, this VR headset might be cheaper. I doubt it from the way it sounds. It sounds like it's going to be even more expensive because it's, it's supposed to be like a next-gen VR headset. So I don't know what Valve's plan is. I do, want, I, I do see them wanting to get more VR, VR platforms on board because I know that when it comes to their games like Half-Life Alex, they want they have kind of allowed for um, other VR headsets to be compatible with that game. So you can use your Oculus Quest or Oculus, Oculus uh, Rift and stuff like that. But it will be great to see because I know when it comes to the headset itself, I don't think that's too much of an issue because, you know, Oculus Quest, Rift, Index, they all have different resolutions. Of course, Valve Index is, is you know, really high when it comes to resolution and stuff. Uh, you know, and with that price tag, it does make sense. Uh, but I do wonder because one of the main things with with Half Life Alex is the fact, and the index is the fact that if you have an index, you can use 
their knuckle controls, which kind of is able to track your finger movements. And in a game like that, apparently it's it's really great. It's really immersive. So I could see them actually kind of putting out softwares or, or just some, some sort of software, some sort of update or something and kind of partnering with Oculus and other companies and allowing that knuckles, knuckles like uh, controllers to be compatible or maybe just sharing some knowledge with Oculus and other brands so that they can develop their own, which I know the Oculus Quest right now has hand tracking. So maybe Valve can work with them and say, hey, if you do this or you do that, we can kind of combine this and uh, that hand tracking can work in this game and it's gonna be even more immersive, right? So I can see them doing that because Valve at the end of the day does want their games to be everywhere. Um, that's kind of the best way if you want to make money. I mean, just look at games like Fortnite and stuff like that, you know, the more places they are, the more places you will make money. Um, and of course, you know, I'm sure Valve also sees that they have a very expensive uh, headset. It's not something that everyone can afford. And we'll definitely talk about this later down, uh, later down the line as well in this podcast. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. Uh, we obviously won't hear about it for a while because I think this just came out. It's going to be a couple of years. And I, I want to see how Oculus also kind of comes back and even PlayStation, to be honest, at this point of time, I think PlayStation definitely made a good choice going into the VR space as we can see that um, it is picking up and keeping in line with with Valve and Half-Life and everything like that. This comes from Tom Marks from IGN. Uh, Valve explains why Half-Life 2 Episode 3 was never made. Ahead of the release of Half-Life Alex, I spoke with level designer Dario Casali, a Valve veteran who has been with the studio since 1996 about Half-Life 2, its development, and its influence on Valve's new VR prequel. Uh, obviously, I didn't I didn't put the entire article because it was a pretty big article, so if you do want to see the entire article, please go to IGN. Um, I'm just kind of taking parts here and there. A plan was set to develop and release each episode in a year, designing them as shorter additions to the story to keep players satisfied more frequently. That plan didn't work out entirely as Valve had hoped. While episode 1 was successfully developed in about a year, Casali says scope creep became a problem. We found ourselves creeping ever forward towards, well, let's just keep putting more and more and more and more stuff into this game because we want to make it as good as we can, he explains. And then we realized these episodes are turning more into sequels. Both Casali and Valve co-founder Gabe Newell explained to IGN that Valve uses Half-Life games explicitly to push technology forward and turn heads. In a new interview with our own Ryan McCaffrey, Newell said Half-Life games are supposed to solve interesting problems and explained that Valve doesn't want to just crank Half-Life titles out because it helps us make the quarterly numbers. Casali similarly says they were looking forward for what is looking for what is going to make that next big impact after episode two. In the time since then, Valve has worked on loads of different projects, Steam, Dota 2, CSGO, multiple VR headsets, and plenty more, many of which outside the outside world has uh, world never saw. Kasali confirmed uh, something Valve has already publicly stated elsewhere, that some of those projects were Half-Life based and never saw the light of day. He explains that we were, we were never really that happy with what we came up with. Uh, this was just, I mean, of course, with everything coming out with Half-Life Alex and everything like that, I think a lot of people were wondering if Half-Life Alex meant you know, something for the mainline Half-Life series. And obviously I can understand, I can see from their perspective that if, you know, Half-Life 1 comes out, it was such a revolutionary first-person shooting game um, that had an amazing story, that had an amazing atmosphere at that time. And, you know, that Half-Life 2 comes out, it pushes pushes even, even further. Then Episode 1 and 2 come out. Obviously they weren't, 
doing something new or revolutionary, but they were still amazing games. I remember playing episode one and two. It's really weird how I play this. I played episode one and two uh, for Half-Life 2, but I never played the mainline Half-Life 2, and I never played Half-Life 1. I am pl- I'm kind of streaming Half-Life 1 here and there, so I do want to kind of go over everything, and I do want to play it. Um, I know I basically ruined my full experience of Half-Life, but I, I am pretty interested to see, you know, what the whole hubbub is about. But it was, it's, it's interesting that, like, you know, they they w- looked at it in that sense. They got to Half-Life Episode 2, and then nothing clicked, so it, and it became so long. Half-Life Episode 2, I believe, came out, like, in 2007. So, it you know, it's been 13 years now. So even if there's scope creep, right, it's like if they keep putting too much, in my, this is just me, okay, if, even if it's scope creep, like, if they, if they have, like, too much stuff coming in, at that point of time, I'll be like, okay, then just make a, a sequel, right? Just make a third part and release it five years later. But that didn't happen either. And they were just saying that they weren't happy with anything. But when they released Half-Life 2, Episode 1 and Episode 2, they were the same as Half-Life 2. You know, overall, it wasn't, like, doing anything new or revolutionary. And people loved the game. That's kind of what we wanted and, and stuff. I'm just trying to understand, like, I understand what they were going for, that it has to be something that pushes, pushes you know, like technology in a way. But episode one and two didn't really do that. And I'm looking at it in terms of, you know, give the God of War or even like Spider-Man like just came out. Let's say Spider-Man 1 came out right now. Spider-Man 2 might come out next year. Who knows? And then, you know, five, six years go, go by and they're like, yeah, we just couldn't come up with anything because we just want to do something so revolutionary. But, you know, all of us here will be sitting like, yeah, but just give me more Spider-Man. Like, it's sometimes sometimes it's okay to give the same type of game. Like, that's the reason why people keep going back to Destiny 2 or games like that, or people keep going back to Call of Duty or, or Battlefield. It's not that people don't like those games or people don't view those games as being these amazing experiences. It's because sometimes it's okay to be, do something like that. It's I can see why God of War had to shift uh, because they, unlike... Half-Life, they released God of War 1, there was God of War 2, there was God of War 3, there were those two PSP games, there was God of War Ascension, you know, there was like so many different games, and after seeing all that, you could see that the sales were declining, the games weren't being reviewed as as, as well, like God of War Essential at least, you know, it, it wasn't viewed in the same way in people's eyes as the, the earlier God of War games were, so I can see why they were like, okay, let's take a, take a step back, and like, you know, let's work on something, and we come up with God of War, but even then, that took like, what, five, six years, or something? You know, like it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, 13 years or something. So I, I like, this is maybe just me. Obviously I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I feel like I'm hitting them too hard with this or anything like that. And this is just kind of from what I, what they have said. It, like you can see that everyone just wants uh, a new, it's not about hitting the core, the quarterly numbers, right? It's about like your fans and people who want to experience Half-Life. And see, I'm saying this as a person who, as you can tell that I'm not like a big Half-Life fan because I haven't really played the Half-Life game that much. But like, I'm just picturing myself as someone who loves The Last of Us or Uncharted or God of War or Halo or something like that, I'm just being like, yeah, but what if they, they, they said the same thing? They were like, yeah, we just, we're just going to wait for 13 years because we want to push the envelope. And we're like, no, but just give me the same game. Like, give me the same game with some more story or something, you know? So let's see what that leads. Obviously, I want to save my, my other parts to the till the end of the end of the podcast, the end of the show. Uh, so this next one, obviously, this is pretty exciting. I, I was really excited about this one, and I hope this comes out in Canada around the same time as, as all the other parts, or most likely U.S. first. Um, God of War, new comic bridges the gap between God of War 3 and the PS4 game. So this comes from Jesse Sheedon from IGN. 
There's a large time gap separating the events of God of War 3 and 2018's God of War, and now fans will finally learn what happened to Kratos during that lost era. As revealed by CBR, Dark Horse Comics is bridging the gap between the two games in the form of a new series called God of War Fallen God. Unlike Dark Horse's previous God of War comic, which takes, uh, takes place shortly before the events of the PlayStation 4 game, Fallen God is set further back in the franchise's timeline. The series will trace Kratos', uh, Kratos journey after defeating Zeus, Athena, and the remaining Greek pantheon in God of War 3. Even as Kratos attempts to move on and start a new family, he finds himself grappling with mental instability and the realization that he he's his own worst enemy. I'm I'm so excited about this. There's one part of me that was kind of almost hoping that there might be a DLC or something that comes out for God of War instead, where you know it may be like three or four hours long and we kind of see what happens in between. I can understand why that won't happen just because of how uh, Corey Barlog and his team have have worked on the God of War game and how hard it was for them to kind of get to this point and make God of War in general. I can see why they don't want to even have anything else. They just want this to be like, here, this is the story. That's it. You know, all this extra information and stuff might trickle down here and there. And, you know, the fact that it's coming like this, I actually don't mind. Again, this could be another perfect thing for a Netflix show, like a Netflix animated show. Even I think this would have been perfect. But like I'm pretty excited about this. If if it does come to Canada, I'll be picking it up day one, and I'll I'll definitely try to report on it or like come on on this podcast and talk about it because yeah, God of War at this point of time is my favorite game of all time. You know, it it trumped Red Dead Redemption One, and even the Red Dead Redemption Two was really great. I will stick by God of War. I mean, God of War just changed the way I look at video game and and the uh, the storytelling when it comes to video game. It just changed everything. And at that point of time, I had already played so many amazing storytelling kind of you know video games at that point so I'm, I'm pretty excited to see what Kratos's journey was because that's one of the things that people like myself who played the older games were wondering about so this next article comes from Matthew Adler from IGN PS5 uh, the majority of the 4000 plus PS5 PS4 titles will be backwards compatible Sony says so this is kind of stemming from last week's um uh, like lecture that that Mark Cerny had he- uh, had had hold uh, had held for the for the whole, the whole dice, oh no, not dice actually, the GDC thing, the GDC developer card. And uh, yeah, I mean, obviously like a lot of people had issues with that, uh, with that talk, with that lecture almost. And I know, I think they did warn people in a way that this was meant to be like, what's going to come out in GDC. And I kind of talked about it before as well. But you know, one of the things that they did talk about was how, how only a hundred, like it, it, it was worded wrong, I think. I think it was obviously like Mark Cerny was kind of in his zone the way he was talking about it. He was just kind of mentioning that like the top 100 games that people play on PS4 in terms of playtime, a majority of them will be available. I, I don't think he was saying that that's the only game that are going to be available. I think he would just say that that's going to be what's going to be available and they'll have that ready for launch. And obviously all all the PS4 titles, like the way they're working, they're going to make sure that all PS4 titles are, are backwards compatible. So I think in terms of in terms of what Sony had said, uh, this, from what Mark Cerny had said, sorry, it says Sony recently took a, a look at the top 100 PS4 titles as ranked by Playtime, and we're expecting almost all of them to be playable at launch on PS5. So I think that was kind of the thing that, that confused people. This also led to a lot of people still kind of bring up the question of whether or not this means that PS3 and PS2 titles will be available in some sense, and that kind of worries people. And, you know, this is obviously more worrying is Jason Schreier on uh, Twitter kind of, kind of came out as well and said that don't get your hopes up. 
And a lot of people know that Jason Schreier does have a lot of uh, a lot of connections in the industry. He does have a lot of developers that he talks to and and people with the, people with the, the knowledge about all this stuff. So you know that's obviously sad in a way. I don't know, but I, in, in my case, like there are games that I would love to go back and play, um, especially you know Sony exclusive or PlayStation exclusives. But a lot of times when I do think about playing an older game, I have a PC, so I can kind of play a lot of the multi-platform games nowadays on my PC. But like even when it comes to the Sony stuff, I'm like, oh, maybe I want to play the Resistance series, right? But it's not like I'm like craving for, craving that like crazy, you know, because there's so many other games out there. Just this week, I'm like I'm like going through like a list of games that I was playing just because all my friends are also at home, uh, and we start playing a bunch of games together. And obviously, I'm I'm going to talk about the games that I played and everything. But like I just kind of realized, I'm like, damn, like there's so many games, and we're so lucky to have so many games. I never had this when I was growing up. So I just don't think that me ha- me having the access of PS3 and PS2 games and PS1 games will be great because, you know, you can see what Xbox One is doing it. Xbox One is doing and they're doing such a great job with it and the messaging as well. Um, but, you know, may- maybe that's just me. I know a lot of more, a-, a lot of people do care about preserving backward compatibility and stuff like that. And who knows, maybe Sony does have something ready and they're not unveiling it just yet. So we'll see what, what happens there. And I-, I, think- I think we should definitely just Give it time. So he's going to release all this information slowly. They're definitely taking their time. I do hope they release a, a proper presentation about the PS5 soon, you know, so we can we can be a bit more calm about everything. So this next one comes from Joe Scrabble from IGN. It says, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 campaign remastered, seemingly confirmed. Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 campaign remastered has been rated in South Korea, all but confirming a release for the unannounced game. Twitter user Nebel posted a link to the South Korean ratings board website, which says the rating has been awarded la- la- late last month. No platforms are listed with the rating. To be clear, this will be a straight remaster of the single player portion of 2009's Modern Warfare 2, not a follow up to last year's Call of Duty Modern Warfare. Names are confusing these days. Uh, this listing seems to point to the game being released as a standalone rather than as a pack in with a brand new Call of Duty game. So this would be great. I think a lot of people do view Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 as I, I think the, the best kind of Call of Duty game, especially the modern Call of Duty games. Uh, I remember the multiplayer of Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 was the multiplayer. I think I played the second most. I think Call of Duty Black Ops was definitely the, the multiplayer I, I played the most just because I, I just love Black Ops quite a bit. And I from what the rumors are, are coming out and stuff. Uh, we might be seeing a Black Ops reboot this uh, this year. So, I mean, this is, this is stuff that we kind of heard about here and there. Um, what obviously turns me off of this is like, it's only the campaign that's being remastered. Um, I wonder if that's kind of like, it, that hasn't, uh, the multiplayer aspect is being added, but obviously it's not been reported on yet. I do hope the multiplayer comes with it because the multiplayer was a very big part of that game. And uh, the maps and just the gameplay and everything in that game was just so perfect that I think the multiplayer of that game will be perfect, but maybe they don't want it to kind of overlap or take over the sales of the new Call of Duty game. I don't see how that would happen because uh, I think there's only there's a very specific crowd that will really, really want to buy Modern Warfare 2. I think anyone nowadays, any any newer generation of Call of Duty players, they'll probably just go straight for the newer one. They, don't really, they won't really give a shit about about Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, right? I think it's people like myself who grew up with it will be more interested in picking it up. So I think they should make the multiplayer available, but who knows? I mean, Activision obviously 
does like to look at things in terms of what's going to net them the most revenue. So I can, I can totally see how it's just going to be the campaign mode. And they'd be like, yeah, but if you want to play the multiplayer, play the, <laughs> the New York Call of Duty game, right? So, so we'll see what happens. This next one, this is pretty interesting. This one comes from WCCF Tech from Alessio Palumbo. Xbox Series X will chip into PS4's market share, but PS5 will still be the best-selling system. This comes from DFC. Um, in, the, in, this, in this battle of engineers, of the engineers, Microsoft arguably came, came out on top. However, long-term DFC still believes the PlayStation 5 will be the best-selling system. Both Sony and Microsoft have the luxury of knowing that initial demand for their systems will outstrip supply. DFC is currently forecasting that due to coronavirus, both the PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X will ship in very limited quantities in 2020. There is a possibility they could be delayed into 2021. Nevertheless, the initial launch is key to determine the long-term reputation for a hardware system. The Xbox One had a strong launch due to its core base, but even on launch date, the PlayStation 4 was widely perceived as a better product. Right now, Sony and Microsoft are being abundantly cautious. Microsoft has had limited success marketing to a wider audience, so they are determined to focus on the core tech base and some key brands. Sony's mass market penetration and perception is far less than it was in the heyday of the PlayStation 2. However, they have a key advantage in software, consumer recognition, and global distribution. For the next few years, this advantage will probably, probably be insurmountable for Microsoft and Xbox Series X. Several, several months before the launch of the PS3, DFC Intelligence wrote an article entitled, Could Sony Go From First to Worst? This was a highly controversial position given the success of the PS2. However, the analysis proved accurate. Right now, DFC does not anticipate First to Worst Part 2. However, we do think Microsoft will start to chip into the PS4 market share. However, much of this will depend on the strength of the offering from Microsoft's newly acquired studios. I, I think this is kind of talking about what most of us know and think. Microsoft's new approach when it comes to Game Pass and everything is allowing more people to kind of join in. That will not only allow more people to buy or, or get into the Microsoft ecosystem quicker, it also lets them not buy an Xbox Series X, weirdly enough. You know, they can technically buy an Xbox One X or One S at this time and, and buy an Xbox Series X later. So I can see how that will reduce the overall sales that they might have. Um, the PC crowd as well will probably just get the Xbox Game Pass for PC and play all their games there. So it's, and, and that's kind of why with, with PS5, it's quite obvious with PS5, it is a very close ecosystem. Even with Horizon Zero Dawn coming for, coming out on a PC, the way they have done it, it's, it's any new game that comes out, any new PS5 exclusive that comes out will not come out on PC immediately, nor will it come out on another console really quickly either, right? So I think that way it's like if and it's the same thing with Nintendo. The reason that everyone buys a Nintendo console every every year, every or not every year, but every time it comes out, is because you're not gonna get Mario Party or or Super Smash Brothers or Mario Kart or Mario Odyssey or Animal Crossing or any of these games or Zelda anywhere else. No matter what, no matter what you might think or say or what whatever's coming out on your mobile platform from Nintendo, you will never get those games anywhere else. So that's kind of how they guarantee their success. And Sony is kind of doing the same thing, except they're obviously opening up a little bit more to the PC side just to kind of boost sales and obviously get more people in. They're obviously taking a different approach to get people in who maybe not who maybe have not played a PlayStation console in a while, but they have a gaming PC, so they can they can play Horizon Zero Dawn and then say, 
uh, that, yo, you know what? I really like Horizon Zero Dawn and they see that PS5 is coming out and PS5 is launching with Horizon Zero Dawn 2. I think that will get a lot of people to jump on board and say, you know what? I do actually enjoy this game. I might as well check this out. This is actually not a bad idea. So I can see that that being their approach, which is obviously very different from Microsoft's approach. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I even in my case, with, with all the support and and uh, and positive things I can say about Xbox and, and their approach to, to everything when it comes to marketing and, and how consumer-friendly they are, it's, I can kind of bet on this as well that we, we all know almost that PS5 will do much better, uh, you know, and I, I do want there to be more competition if Microsoft just comes out and sells more, does better, it will kind of get Sony to push more and do more consumer-friendly things, which, you know, let's be honest, they haven't been doing as much. So in a way, I am kind of hoping deep down, even though I love Sony, I'm kind of deep down hoping that, you know what, it'll be cool if Microsoft does pull ahead somehow. But yeah, like the way it is, I I, I doubt, I doubt that would happen. Just because I, I want, I want there, want there to be more competition, you know, and uh, I'm in a position where I know that I'm going to buy a PS5 and at some point down the line, if there's a, if there's reason enough, like if there's some games that like just aren't running well on my PS, on my, on my PC, which I doubt considering the GPU that the Xbox Series X has is, is similar to what I have on my PC. So I doubt that will be uh, an issue like that. But, you know, it'll be, I, I do want Microsoft to convince me, someone like myself who has a PC, who had who has a PS4, an Xbox, a Switch, and will be getting a PS5. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what costs to me. And I definitely want to see what that could be. There could be a feature that definitely pulls me in. You never know. Uh, so the next news is obviously quite upsetting for a lot of fans of the Silent Hill series. Uh, this comes from Rely on Horror by C.J. Melendez. Um, according to a North American PR uh, representative for Konami, recent Silent Hill rumors are not true. We're aware of all the rumors and reports but can confirm that they are not true. I know it's not the answer your fans may want to hear, said the Konami US PR rep. I don't know if this fully closes off the chapter. You know, like sometimes I've noticed in the gaming industry, sometimes companies will outright deny certain things that are actually happening. And, you know, I never know what to believe and what not to believe. I can't think of anything on, to on the top of my head, but I feel like some companies had denied certain things or, or whatnot. And then, you know, obviously a couple of months later or at E3, that same thing got announced uh, and, and, and all that. So I can totally see this still being a thing, this still coming out and, and, and whatever. Um, we can obviously, you know, I can understand from Konami's perspective, if they don't want the information to get out yet, they do want to keep all the rumors at bay. They don't want people to talk talk about it or whatever agreement was being done between Sony and Konami, maybe it fell through, right? We don't know. Maybe there were talks, but then at the end of the day, it fell through and they were like, nope, we're not going to be doing this. So Silent Hill, Kojima Productions and Konami are all went their separate ways. And we don't know, maybe, maybe they're talking to Microsoft, right? But the main thing is to obviously stay positive because... The, uh, now I think now that Konami has seen the popularity of the Sand Hill franchise and how people are clamoring for another one, maybe this is kind of the wake up call as well that you know we should really push this. We should really start pushing this right now, and maybe this all will actually lead to a game coming out quicker or them actually pushing for the development of the game. So, I mean, this obviously I wanted to report it because uh, we did kind of talk about it before, and I I, I really wanted a new Sand Hill game because I just love horror games in general. But I, I won't, I won't be, I, I won't, you know, fully put it aside because I do think that something will definitely happen with that franchise. This next leak is actually pretty 
pretty exciting as well, especially for people who who love Eleanor One. Apparently, there might be a new Eleanor coming out. So, um, I didn't. This this isn't really coming from a specific source or anything like that. I know what Culture Gaming also released a video on it. So apparently, I got this. I just got this from Reddit. There was a video on YouTube that apparently pointed towards Eleanor Two, but it was taken down shortly afterwards. I think that was that video was also posted by Take Two Interactive, which is the parent company of of Rockstar Games. So it seems that that is kind of all but confirming Eleanor Two, and I think we might even get some sort of announcement or something like that soon if it was coming out. I mean, I feel like I feel like I'm saying that, and uh, there was all these rumors coming out that uh, a new I think it was uh, GTA 6 was going to be announced today. I think March 25th or maybe 26th, which is tomorrow. And obviously, I, I, we haven't heard anything yet. So I, I feel like I always fall for these traps. I always fall for these rumors because I really do want them to be true. But you know, you never know. I think Eleanor 2 is most likely in development because Eleanor 1 did did well. It, it's not like it was it, it didn't sell, it sell well enough or anything like that. There, there were just issues with the development, the development side, the developing company. Uh, Team Bondi, which is, I, I think they're not together anymore. That company is, has been defunct since then. So I can totally see them making Eleanor 2, especially with the technology that, that Rockstar has now. So that could be really interesting. And let's let's see if there's something comes out this week. I'll, I'm definitely going to report on it on the next week. Um, this next one, again, another rumor. Apparently there's a Daredevil game coming for uh, PS5, the Marvel Daredevil game. And this is coming from 4chan from Next Gen Marvel Daredevil Game and Development. That's literally what it's called, I think. Or is that anonymous? I don't know. I think I, I don't even know how to read the the username because that's kind of what it says. And then it says anonymous in green and then whatever. But like, okay, I'm just going to see. I'm just going to say what it says on 4chan. Apparently, this is like a big thing that a lot of people have been reporting on. Um, Insider, I've known online for years. Give me info on the Spider-Man PS4 game and Square Enix's Avengers um, think he either was from Marvel Games or has close connection to them. So this is all coming from the 4chan post. Um, Marvel is currently working on Daredevil single-player narrative-focused games set to release on next-gen consoles in late 2021 or 2022. Current target platforms are PC, Xbox Series X, PS5, <laughs> and it says, and definitely not Switch. I don't know why that, you don't really say that, but it's attacking the Switch for no reason. Um, games will, the game will be open-world uh, modern-day Chicago, and to offer a very dark noir style detective game, that's pretty cool with, with melee combat. There will be an echolocation type mode to activate, similar to Arkham Batman's, uh, Arkham Batman's detective mode. Uh, the map size will com- compare roughly to the size of a whopping 65 miles per square. I don't know, I don't know what that is. It's just taking full, full advantage of the next gen SSD. Um, it, it seems, however, that free roam is only allowed at night and barely any missions will take place in the day. Uh, a bonus leak. Early, early development has begun on a Marvel's Wolverine title, but unlike Marvel's Daredevil, it will not be an open world game and will instead be more God of War 4-esque. Oh, God of War PS4-esque. Uh, this is, I mean, okay, the first, we should definitely dwell more onto the Wolverine aspect of it too. But yeah, like, I, I feel like, I feel like this is like a, a clear opportunity. The with seeing, seeing the success of Spider-Man, I feel like you definitely need to make a Daredevil game. You definitely need to make a, a Wolverine game. You definitely need to make an Iron Man game. I know there's a VR game coming out, but all of these, you, you know, I get they're doing the Avengers thing and, and all that, but I, I don't know. I just feel that for these superheroes, the Avengers is something that comes together after a while, after, you know, like, it's like, I, I, I want to explore their singular stories first and then we come together with the, with the Avengers. So far, we got a really, really good Spider-Man game. Like, finally, we got like a really good Marvel game. You know, we got Marvel Ultimate Alliance, but again, that goes back to my whole Avengers point. And then now we're getting an Avengers game, right? So it's kind of like, 
yeah, but why can't we get like an Iron Man game first? Why can't we get an, a, a Hulk game first? Why can't we get a Wolverine game or Daredevil game or Captain America game? Why can't we get these separate games? And then after that, you know, Marvel goes to Square Enix or whoever and says that, okay, we want you guys to make an Avengers game. You know, like that would be such a perfect way to do it. And just because I'm, I don't know, I just don't feel excited about the Avengers game at all. Just because like they, they've already sold it to me like a Destiny game. And I love playing Destiny 2 and I've, I've, I will talk about that. But no way I look at Destiny 2 as, yeah, you need to play this for the single player story, the narrative aspect of it, right? Even though the Forsaken had a good story and everything like that, the before the, the expansion before Shadowkeep, it, you know, it's still it's still not like in my top 10 games, it's still not a game that I'm like, this is my favorite game of all time or anything like that, like God of War. So I just, I just see these comic book games that can have such amazing stories be wasted when you're just, when, you know, when you just start to make a game, which is like, okay, this, this game is going to make us money for the next two, three years because people will buy costumes, people will buy the monetization stuff, people will buy expansions. But it's like, you know what, why can't we just get like a God of War type, God of War type of a game? And I'm so, I'm so happy to hear if this is true, that there's a Wolverine game being made like that, that there's a Daredevil game being made like that. And, you know, maybe that's what they're trying to do. Maybe they're going for Avengers with those, that core Avengers group. And now they're going to be putting stuff like Wolverine, Daredevil. Um, I'm trying to think of, of who else, maybe Doctor Strange, right? Maybe they, they start taking all these people who, who weren't in that core Avengers group and start putting games out for them. And I think that would be not a bad way to go about it, even though I would love to see an Iron Man game, or a Black Widow game, or a Thor game. You know, like there could be so many awesome games. So this is obviously good signs if this is true. Um, Marvel is obviously seeing the the positive impact of, of having a game like Spider-Man out there, and I'm sure Spider-Man 2 is in the works and probably coming out next year, which is another rumor that was like floating around. So that should be that should be quite interesting. I really I really really hope it does come out. So we'll move on to the games I have played. So the first game because everyone's indoors a lot. My friends are also at home now. You know everyone's in lockdown, so we all started playing games together. So one of the games we started playing was Destiny Two Crucible, and yeah, I mean this is this is great. Like I I got out of Destiny Two a while back after the Forsaken stuff. I didn't really get into Shadowkeep. I was just I just didn't see the point in spending money on it because. It is more fun when more of your friends play. But like when everyone kind of got back together, we weren't really doing strikes or anything like that. We were just playing Crucible and, and Crucible was really good. I, I was playing on the PS4 uh, nonetheless. I wasn't even playing on my PC and it was really, really fun. I really, really enjoy it. They added some new game modes that I never played before. Like basically like um, like the bomb defusal one that you see in Counter-Strike. They have a version of that in Destiny 2 now. They have Elimination. They have this thing called Scorch, which is like, you all, all, everyone has rocket launchers in a way and you're just kind of like taking everyone out with one hit. So like they put some really, really cool game modes and it's crazy to think that Destiny 2 now, that version of it is free. So anyone that hasn't played Destiny 2 can easily just buy that and you'll get those Crucible, all that stuff. I mean, on PlayStation, unfortunately, you have to play for PS Plus for online, which I, again, I have like my opinions about what PS4, PS4 needs to do now coming into PS5. They, they, can't, they can't have a PS Plus anymore. Like, I just don't, like, this PS Plus thing, like, free games and all that stuff, fine, put that to your side. Like, okay, if you pay us this much monthly, we'll give you something, uh, a certain amount of games every every month that you can keep with you. Cool, that works. But paying to play online, no, man, no. Like, I think maybe I'm, maybe because I've, I've shifted towards PC, I'm, I just look at that as, as some excuse. And you can, you, anyone can let me know why they need to charge us for it. But, like, on PC, they don't charge us for it. And 
now that Sony and Microsoft are touting themselves as these high-end gaming PCs, why why do you need to pay for online? Right? You can obviously tell I get really heated about this now because I'm literally seeing that I can I can't believe for so many years I've been playing for Xbox Live Gold. I have Xbox Game Pass Ultimate right now, which is like paying for gold, Game Pass on my Xbox and my PC, but at least I'm getting Game Pass for PC and Xbox, right? Which makes it like a lot more a lot more worthwhile for me. Whereas with Sony, it's like the PS Plus games, let's be honest, have been getting worse and worse every month. So it's nothing there. And this online thing, I'm like, like seriously, like Fortnite, you can play without PS Plus. But then this other game, Destiny 2, which is free, you have to play PS Plus for. It's like, how do you differentiate between those two, right? I, I just, yeah, it's just, I'm just like not okay with that. I think they need to like, I, I think with this new generation, they should charge you $10, $15 per month, but it, it should be for PS Now plus two games free per month, not for online. If you want to play online, play online all you want. This online paying thing, you know, make it like Nintendo. Nintendo asks you like for 20 bucks for a year. Okay, that's fine. Don't ask us for like a full game's worth of PS Plus, like for the year worth of like online stuff. Like that, that's just my opinion. Obviously, I doubt Sony will listen because I think they have like 36 million PS Plus subscribers. So, you know, it's not like they're, the, the subscriber count is dwindling or anything like that. So like Destiny 2, really had a great time. On PC, uh, my friends and I, we, we started playing Guys Mars. So we were playing games like Murder, or uh, we haven't tried Terrace uh, in, in Town, or whatever. What, what, what was it? Uh, it was something in Terrace Town, something like that. Uh, Trouble in Terrace Town. Uh, we haven't tried that one yet, but we tried Prop Hunt, and uh, it was it was pretty it was pretty great. I think the setup initially took a while. I thought I had to make my own server, so I was doing some next level thing on my on my my computer to like set up a server and then i realized that we can just start a game and invite people to it and i'm just like oh my god i can't believe i started a server and all this stuff but it was great i had a really great time i really really like that game um i think if you have a, a bigger group of people it'll be more fun as well the other game i tried was dauntless dauntless was really great as well i i honestly didn't think too much of it because i played monster hunter world and and for me it's hard to get into monster hunter world i don't know why i just didn't I, I played like quite a bit of it, but it was just, it wasn't like Dark Souls or any other games where, you know, there was like this pull, like the gameplay or something that there was, a, there was like a pull that keeps getting you in that, okay, no, just, just keep inching more towards this, keep inching more towards this, right? And like, I just wasn't feeling that, especially like the gameplay was just not like hitting me. Like the gameplay just felt very erratic and like, you know, very like flimsy or uh, it, it just didn't feel right for me. I know that people who, who really love Monster Hunter, they just like, they know how it works, they know how it plays. And maybe because I came from that playing Dark Souls and Bloodborne and even now Sekiro and stuff like that, I was expecting something similar. But like, of course, like Dauntless, like Dauntless, the gameplay was really, really good. I really, really liked the gameplay. It felt really responsive. Uh, the game world, everything looks really nice. It's free, which is crazy. Like, you know, like, I, and I, I started playing with, with my uh, friends who were, uh, who were playing on Epic Games on PC. I was playing my PS4 just because I felt like playing on the couch. And we, we, we connected with each other like within seconds. There were no issues. We were playing together. No lag. Nothing like that. It was just amazing. So I want to keep playing that for sure. I, I was pleasantly surprised. Um, you know, I, and obviously as long as I, I'm playing with my friends. And like, I think that was like the main thing. I had two other people that I was playing with it, which made it more fun. And I think that would be the same with Monster Hunter, to be honest. I think if I was, it was with Dark Souls and, and Bloodborne and all those From Software games, they, they are single player, right? You kind of go in this world on your own. So I can, you know, you, you can kind of work with that. That's fine. But I think bringing that mentality over to Monster Hunter or to Dauntless, you know, you need to kind of change the mentality that, you know, even Division 2, to be honest, that if you do play with more people, it's actually a lot more fun. And I think that's what I'm realizing. So 
you know, if I can get my, my group, I know, uh, Sebi, he loves Monster Hunter World, uh, but he's always way higher level than I am. So I always feel bad. I always feel like, you know, I would like kind of like when we were playing Wilson, I always feel like I'm like literally like doing nothing, you know, whereas like Sebi's like, he's like doing all the work. He's like taking all these monsters out and I'm doing like one damage, one damage at a time. So I feel like, <laughs> I feel like I just need to get a group who's like starting from zero and we can start like day one together and make our way, uh, together. But, you know, it's obviously hard to find people who have the time. I know people have the time, but like I was talking about how uh, we're all kind of playing Crucible and stuff like that now. So it's going to be, it's going to be hard for me to find a Monster Hunter group. I do want, I do want to play it. I do really want to play Monster Hunter World. So hopefully before the next Monster Hunter World, World or Monster Hunter game comes out, I'll be, I'll be done with this one. Um, and of course, I'll be streaming Ori, uh, Ori in the Blind Forest. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm close to the end. So I kind of got till the end. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, it was, it was okay. Like it's it's been good. I really love the music, the atmosphere, and everything is really really good. Uh, the story hasn't really hit me that well that way. It it, it didn't really grab me. Um, the gameplay was like the the main issue that I was having with. Sometimes it was just frustrating for the sake of being frustrating. Like it wasn't like challenging because you know like in Sekiro, if anyone see me stream and you can still see my streams on Twitch, every time I would die because of a boss, you would never see me complain too much about it. You know. You would see me get frustrated, but I'm like, okay, okay, I got this. Okay, I know what to do now. Okay, I got this. In this one, I would complain because I would feel like I would do something, but that would not happen on the screen. Or I would do something and, you know, like, just like the responsiveness of certain things that you do in the game just doesn't work. Or sometimes it would just be frustrating for the sake of being frustrating. Like, it would just throw stuff at you just to mess with you, right? Whereas with Sekiro, you would think that. With From Software games, you would think that, but that's not the case, right? Like... You can totally see that from people who play those games like and just compare. And I think that was kind of what I was going through. And I, maybe, maybe everyone, maybe anyone else uh, who has played them, maybe everyone else is kind of like, no, this, this was not an issue for me. And Amon, you're just complaining. You're just a big baby. And that might be the case. But, you know, I'm, I'm still giving it a shot. I'm almost done with that game. And I'm going to move on to Ori uh, and the World of Wisps because I think that got a lot of good reviews. And people were saying that that's apparently a lot better than the first one. And all this talk about like, you know, me being hard game and stuff like that kind of makes me want to go back to Dark Souls 3 because I never played the DLC. So I actually just got the Fire Fire Phase Edition, which is Dark Souls 3 plus the season pass and everything because I, I, I don't even have Dark Souls 3 anymore because I played it in like 2016 uh, when it came out. So I'm, I'm pretty excited to go back to play that because the DLC itself, I think is like 10 or 11 hours or so, so which is like quite a bit. So I was like, yeah, you know what? This is not bad, actually. I'll, I'll, I'll try this game out and see 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 how it is. So I'm pretty excited to try, excited to try that game. Uh, and maybe I'll, I'll probably stream that, actually, uh, just because I am kind of craving that game again. And we, we're going to move on to my uh, my favorite game right now, the game that I can't stop playing, the game that Sav still can't stop playing, the game that Sebi can't stop playing, the game that my sister cannot stop playing, and that's Animal Crossing New Horizons. This is just amazing. This game, man. Every morning... At the same time I wake up, I gotta do my, I gotta sell my shit, I gotta, I gotta go around the, my island, take out all the fossils, get it assessed, I'm just, I won't say that we're addicted, I'm not gonna say that, you know, I think, but I feel like most people who are addicted probably say that as well, but, you know, there's something about this game, this game just pulls you in, you know, I'm always working toward paying off my loan in that game, and sometimes it hits you too, too much towards reality, you know, and like this game is just so good. They improved so much from the 3DS game. When it was coming out, to be honest, I knew I was picking it up, but I wasn't sure if I would be in, in the, uh, invested in the game the same way I was with 
the game, uh, the 3DS one, which was my first Animal Crossing game. But surprisingly, like this sucked me in so quickly. Like I'm just loving the game. Sometimes I just want to go and fish. Sometimes I just want to chill. And like, I just love that about this game. This game just gives you so many opportunities to approach the game how you want to approach it. You can take your time and it, it does enforce you to play the game for a little bit and like, and let go. They're like, okay, you've done all you can today. Just relax, play tomorrow. And I love that about this game. The game is not like throwing everything at you in one go. They're like, no, we don't want you to play this game for 24 hours. We want you to play this game for a bit, get everything that you need to do today and then play tomorrow. Like it's like a simulation game. And I love that about this game. So this is this game so far for me for 2020 is like my best game of the year, game of the year right now. Uh, I'm playing this like crazy. I'm pretty sure I'm going to keep playing it for the rest of this year. So we'll see it towards the end of the year because we have some big games coming out. But this was not, this was, this was expected. I think Animal Crossing, as we've seen with the crazy lineups, even now in this day and age when, you know, people should be staying at home and not going outside, you know, people were lining up for this game and the craze behind Animal Crossing and stuff like that. So, and I can, I, I, I know so many of my, of my friends who never owned a Switch, who went out and bought a Switch for Animal Crossing. So, this game is definitely amazing and anyone that's wondering whether or not they should try Animal Crossing, I think this might be the game that you should because it is it is very accessible. It definitely makes a lot more a lot more things clearer that they didn't make clear in, in the older games. And it's just all around fun. I definitely think if you own a Switch, you owe it to yourself to try this game. This game is just beautiful, wonderful, amazing music, amazing atmosphere, amazing everything. Please, please try this game. So I'm going to move on to the last topic or last section of the show, which is the unputdownable topic, and I kind of kind of talked about this earlier on. Um, will Half Life Alex convince people to buy a VR headset? Now, Half Life Alex has been getting amazing reviews everywhere. It got a ten out of ten from IGN. It got a nine from Gamespot. It's pretty high up on on Metacritic and stuff like that. And I mean, is this is this something that will get people to get something like a Valve Index? You know, Valve Index itself costs like a thousand dollars or or more if you're in Canada, and then on top of that, you need a pretty good gaming PC, right? You need a pretty good gaming PC, which is like another like grand or so, and then you can experience this sixty dollar game or fifty dollar game or whatever it is. And you know, like I don't know what Half Life or what Valve is trying to do with it because I understand, you know, we were talking about how they want to push the limit, they want to push technology. And with this, they can, they're clearly pushing it. This is clearly a game that if you have a VR headset, you are set. I have a, a an Oculus Quest, but even in my case with the Oculus Quest, it's going to be great. It's going to work. It's going to be awesome. But from what I read online again and again, everyone keeps talking about how, yeah, it's great. But if you really want to experience it, if you really want to play it, you need to have a Valve Index. And in my brain, I'm like, that's not a good selling point. You know, the uh, uh, like what we what we would accept in a way is something that maybe like a, like a VR headset which costs like $300, $400, something like that. But like, okay, $300, $400, you're gonna spend that and then you'll not only get a bunch of other games, you'll get, you know, some this one specific game too, right? That can like, that that might be made or be best on that VR, uh, VR headset. But Valve Index is right out of the gate because of technology, because of how expensive it is, it's coming at like a thousand something dollars, right? And like, I don't know, I don't know, what the thought process is there because I can I'm sure they can see on their end in terms of sales that it's not going to be that high. There are not going to be a lot of people that have VR headsets. People are just getting into VR because of Oculus Quest because you don't need a PC for that. But even then, the game's not on Oculus Quest, right? It's still on PC. 
So you still need to have a good gaming PC along with your Oculus Quest to be able to play this game. And there is obviously a big demand for Half-Life games. Valve knows this. Valve sees this. You know, everyone keeps talking about it and stuff. So I, I'm just trying to understand why they would make a game like this. And, and, and obviously they made, they made a prequel for that specific reason. I think they, they would have, they would have gotten a lot more trouble and a lot, they would have gotten a lot more shit from people if they made Half-Life 3 and it was, it was VR only. Right. I, I think that's probably one of the reasons they went with a prequel rather than a sequel, because at least this way they can, they can say that, no, don't worry about it. It's not a sequel, but just try it out. This is going to be really cool on, on VR. You know, I, I, I just do, I just don't see this causing people. Like when I was talking to my friends about this game and telling them that it got good reviews, all of them were like, oh, this is cool. Like, what's it on? I'm like, oh, it's on VR. They're like, oh, okay. You know, it, it just kind of dies down there. Right. Like, and, and that's, that's sad, right? You know, it's not, it's, you're not, it's, it's hard to convince someone when you're asking them to pay, you, you know, I, I can tell them to get an Oculus Quest, which is still four or five dollars, but then I have to be like, yeah, no, get the Quest, but you also need a gaming PC. They're like, oh, what about my, my laptop? My laptop has like this GPU or has like, you know, an Intel Ultra HD card or something like that. I'm like, uh, yeah, it, it probably won't work on that. You know, and it's kind of like, it just kind of dies down to only a very small group of people that can play it. And and I think just from Twitch viewership, I think Twitch viewership was really, really high for that game. You can see that so many people, so many people want to play that game. So many people want to try that game. But like Valve has gated that and it's weird how I don't see that being talked about as much. Like everyone has kind of accepted the fact that Valve has released a game like this. And they're like, yeah, it's for VR only. It's going to be like high-end VR and stuff like that, you know. It's not even going to be on PSVR right now. So, you know, like this is going to be for full-on high-end VR stuff. For high, people who have high-end VR. So it's kind of like, okay, but what about all the people that spend all that money are diehard Half-Life fans? You're telling them to like spend thousands of dollars to play one game, which is probably like 10 to 15 hours long, maybe? Like that's that's too much. That's too much. I think to, I think to maybe in some way give support or kind of help uh, show that you actually care about your fans or your consumers who have been supporting Half-Life, the Half-Life franchise for so long. I, I'm hoping what they're showing with this is, look, this is our side project, right? This is a side project that we kind of gave to the VR community that we wanted to use to push our VR platform and see how that does. But don't worry, we have a big team on the side working on Half-Life 3, which will be a, a purely console slash PC game that you can just play normally. You know, like I'm hoping that that's what they are doing and that's what they're kind of itching towards because if this is their way of coming out, I think that I saw an article as well about like how Half-Life Alex is the most expensive game that you will never play. And like, even in my case, I have an Oculus Quest and like whenever I read, I, I, I watched like a lot of reviews and just read reviews. Everyone kept saying the same thing, how, uh, yeah, I used an Oculus, but it was okay. But then when I used the index, which was provided to them because for, for review reasons by Valve, they were like, yeah, then I could like really see like the, the whole, like, you know, like the VR aspect of all this and how immersive it is and stuff like that. And I'm just like, yo, I'm not going to spend that much for one game. Like if it runs on my Oculus Quest and it does a good enough job, fine. And I'm, I'm thinking in terms of the, in terms of the developers, like, do they do they want their creative visions to be uh, uh, to be in some way not destroyed in a way I don't know but like some way some way reduced because because I like I'm gonna use Oculus Quest because 
I'm not going to be spending that much money on a VR headset for one game. And because they designed it specifically with Valve's index in mind. And like, I don't know, I just don't see, uh, it's, it's just a weird business approach. And let's be honest, like Valve doesn't need that much money, that, that much money from us. Like they're making so much money from Dota, from Steam and stuff like that, like against Counter-Strike. So it's not like, it's not like they, they, they will care about this. I'm just hoping that this is, like this is there. And I'm probably going to try this on my, on my Oculus Quest. Uh, through my PC, whatever it is, I'm probably going to have a good time because, you know, I saw how it looks and I'm like, damn, this is pretty awesome. I'm not going to have the finger tracking thing because you need the VR index for that. But like, what, you know, what can I, I'm not going to spend a thousand dollars for that, right? So I'm just going to, I'm going to try it out with this and I'll, if I have a good time with my Oculus Quest, perfect. If I can see that certain things have been taken out because it's on a Quest or because I don't have the, the Valve VR index, then obviously that's going to be a knock against them because then I'll be like, okay, wow, so... You know, I, I own a VR headset. I own a good gaming PC. I paid like money for your game, yet I'm getting a lesser game. You know, I, I think maybe, maybe this is my, uh, maybe this is my view. I don't know if other people who have played this game on Oculus Rift or Oculus Quest or, uh, the HTC Vive, if you played it on those games and uh, on those, on those headsets and you're like, no, I don't feel that at all. I've played it on both Index and this, then sure, you know, like, please, like, let me know, email me, uh, message me on Twitter or Instagram, anything like that. But you know, like that's kind of what was going in my head, and I'm I'm hoping uh, they have kind of mentioned it before that Valve is is finally trying to get back into games, and what better way to do it than Half Life, right? So Half Life Alex is finally out because I like the more I kind of thought about it, you know, like initially I was really interested, I was really excited, and I I, I was so glad that they allowed people to just play and play the game on any of their headsets. They were like, you know, what? you can use any headset you want, but like when I started reading about the reviews, when I started. Uh, looking, I was listening to the Giant Bomb, uh, their, their podcast, and they were talking about it. And you know, like when I was like listening to them, they were kind of talking about how, like, yeah, like it's you know, like they actually want to play this game on the Index more than they were uh, they want to play it on the Oculus and stuff like that. That kind of put that kind of put me in the spot of being like, wait, okay, so there's actually big differences between those two. I thought that the differences would be like, okay, you can't do the finger tracking thing, but don't worry, we have something for you. We we found a way because Valve is very very good when it comes to that, especially the developers at Valve, like they do a very good job to make sure the game, their games are compatible across platforms. So because of that, I was like, you know what? This will be perfect. They'll know what to do with Oculus. They'll know what to do with the Oculus touch controllers and stuff like that. And it turns out that they, they didn't. <laughs> it turns out that that's not the case. And another issue is also space. So like they're coming out with this and it seems that you do need a bit of space. And like I have all the equipment and everything, but my place is a condo right? I don't have that big of a space. Like I have to like put my bed up and move it around and stuff for that to be able to like make a good VR space. But that was another thing. I was like, wait, but like this is Valve. I thought they would have a mode where like, don't worry, if you're sitting, we can do a thing. We'll make sure that you're, you you, you can just keep sitting and stuff like that. Or if you're standing in one spot and you don't want to move too much, don't worry, we can do something like that. I didn't, I I thought there were more options with it. And obviously I'm going to go into the game myself and, and see for myself and report back. Because I don't want to seem too negative on it, especially because I haven't played it, right? So I do wanna, I do wanna try that out. But like, let's see. Um, I at the end of this year, I can see it get nominated for like VR game and stuff like that. But I doubt it will get nominated for game of the year, even if it is amazing. It got a ten out of ten and stuff, right? Like, even if it is really good, like, will, can a can a game be game of the year if only like fifteen thousand people can play it? You know, like I feel like. I feel like game of the year, one of the things is how accessible it is and how, how many people can get it in, into the hands of. Like, 
who knows? I mean, obviously, like it can it can be game of the year as well, right? Even if it's only played by like one person, right? It it, it shouldn't it, that shouldn't that shouldn't remove it from contention in any way. But I don't know. It it just it just seems weird. Um, I, it seems to be like that that VR game that people should look at and and try if they really want to see what VR is capable of. But uh, I'm 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 not I'm not happy that it is it does seem to favor VR the the Valve Index in a way where it it is you will get a worse experience if you play it on another platform. So I don't know if this game in general is pushing VR headset sales and it might already might well be doing that for Oculus and stuff like that. But I don't know if, if it's doing that in a in a bad way as well because like these people will buy the buy the game and buy an Oculus Quest, let's say. And then next thing you know, you know they're playing and they're like, wait, but this game, it, it doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel right. This doesn't play well. This doesn't play well. And you know, it turns out that yeah, I mean, it works with Oculus Quest and all those VR headsets, but if you really want to experience it, you got to buy our super duper expensive Valve Index. So I, I'm not, I won't be surprised if it has helped sell, sell some of those, something like Oculus Quest and some of those other VR headsets. But I, I doubt, I doubt that a lot of people are buying the Valve Index. There's just no way, considering how expensive it is. There's just, there's just no way, especially with the new consoles coming out and stuff like that, I'm sure a lot more people are saving up money for those. Uh, there's just no way to just, for one game. Like, I mean, come on. If they came out with this, Portal 3, Team Fortress VR, uh, Counter-Strike VR, like, you, know, you know what I'm saying? Like, if they came out like four or five different VR games, like full, full experiences, like 13, 14 hours, 15 hour games or something, full experiences, right? They came out with four or five VR games of their most recognized franchises. And they're like, yeah, you know what? Here you go. You want to try this on, on the thing? This is our VR headset and look at all these games we have. That's tempting. You're going to re- release one game and you're going to try to sell me this $1,000 headset? No, thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> thank you. I think, I, think that, I think we can leave it there with my little rant about Valve's, uh, Valve's VR headset. So thank you everyone for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed the podcast, the show. Please email me at amandamangames at gmail.com. That's amandamangames at gmail.com for any questions. I am streaming on Twitch this week. I'm going to be finishing Ori. And like I said, I was going to go into maybe playing more Half-Life and also Dark Souls 3, the DLC. And of course, check me out on amandamangames on Instagram. All the links are also in my in my description. But check me out on Instagram. I post regularly. Uh, check it out and stuff like that. Let me know what you think. Also, you can message me. Direct message me. Let me know what you think. Let me know if you want me to uh, talk about something, any questions, anything like that. And I hope to see everyone next week on this podcast. And I will be coming up with a new story time episode very soon. I have a few ideas for that. So thank you, everyone. I hope everyone stays safe, stay indoors, and please keep playing more. Keep playing video games. Hopefully, some Animal Crossing. All right. Bye, everyone.